So I don't know if you noticed this Sunday, but we moved into the Gospel of John. So we're in the, you know, there's three different liturgical years within the church calendar, A, B, and C. We're in year B uh, reading cycle, and that's the Gospel of Mark. And we read out of the Gospel of Mark until this month, we're going to get a month of John. And they give us John 6. John 6, I would, I think you could argue is maybe the most important chapter in the New Testament. Maybe second to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. That's pretty important too. But John chapter 6 is incredibly important. Why is it so important? Because it's the culmination and the explanation of two of the most significant events in the history of the world colliding together. So in order to understand this, I need you just a little snapshot of biblical history. In the entire Old Testament has a center. There's a center to the Old Testament. Everything flows, is, is, is focusing on it. It's looking back at it and it's flowing from it. And it's an event. What event is it in the Old Testament? We haven't done this for a while, so I'll let you guys answer. The most significant event of the Old Testament. Huh? Moses getting the law. Nope. It's close, though. Huh? Passover. You were here last night. That doesn't count. <laughs> Passover. The Exodus. <clears throat> that is the entire Old Testament is looking at the Exodus. When are we going to be free? And then once they're freed, everything's looking back because of the Passover. So here's the deal. <clears throat> How are they freed? They're freed from tyranny to Pharaoh, right? They're enslaved. They're freed from that. And in this freedom, it's done by signs and wonders. There is also a very, very particular meal that is given to the people to celebrate in connection to this miracle of freedom. God gives very particular instructions. He gives them through Moses to the people. What are they supposed to do? Take an unblemished lamb, slaughter it. This is not a meal, by the way. This is a sacrifice. That's very important. It's a sacrifice that is carried on by the Jewish people. They take an unblemished lamb, they roast it, they eat its flesh, and then they take its blood, this should sound familiar, and they put it on the doorpost, right? And that caused the angel of death to pass over the Jewish homes. Good. Fast forward to the New Testament. You with me? Okay. Into the New Testament. There is also a center to the entire New Testament. Everything is leading up to it. Everything flows from it and looks back at it. What is that event? The crucifixion, the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Good. What happened in the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus? We were freed from slavery to sin. And it was done by great signs and wonders. And there was a very particular meal attached to this freedom. In this meal, which was given to us by God in the flesh, there are particular rules. And those rules are that we are to eat the flesh of the true Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, and His blood circulates then in our veins causing the devil to pass over us because we belong to Jesus. 
Beautiful. Great scripture exegesis. Thank you. What does that have to do with any of us here? So what? So there's these two meals, there's these two, you know, places of being freed from sin. John 6 is an explanation of why it's important. The world right now is full of bad news. I, don't, I rarely watch the news anymore because it's so depressing. Not to mention your struggles, my struggles, our families, maybe our health, our jobs, our age. The older you get, the more struggles there are. And it's very easy to get discouraged because life is a struggle. And you can even sit back and say, who's really in control? If Jesus conquered death, is the king of the universe, why do I always feel like I'm losing? Why, do, why does it always seem like the evil in the world are succeeding and the good are failing? Why is that? What reason do I have for hope in this God-forsaken world? And the answer to that is this. If you are indeed a true follower of Jesus Christ, then you should have immense hope. You should have more hope now than you've ever had. And why do I say that? Because that was terribly discouraging. And yet that is what was the key to unlock life. Nobody was at the crucifixion cheering Jesus on. Yeah! Yeah, get scourged. Now get crowned. We knew this was going to be great. You were going to suffer and be tortured, and then we were all going to have eternal life. Nobody was saying that. You know what they were doing? They were running away terrified. And if I had an image for the church, the universal Catholic church right now, it is running away terrified. We are not standing at the foot of the cross. Jesus told us to expect this. This was going to happen. And he left us the mass. So that every Sunday, every day if you want, you can be reminded that we're in a good place. That is cause for great hope. I know this, this quote I had a while ago, but I... It captures our world. It's the evil are filled with passionate intensity while the good lack all conviction. We should have more conviction than we've ever had. It's like we're back at the foot of the cross. You know what that means? You guys don't look nearly excited enough. That means we're on the precipice of some incredible God breakthrough. Like, this is where he brings us to so that he can fully reveal himself to us again. And so it's not all bad news. When we come here, we know the cross isn't the end. We know that God has the last word. And that no matter how dark it gets, he will have the final say. You know, I've quoted J.R. Tolkien a lot, but he bears repeating just because geniuses bear repeating. And so he said one time, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus means that one day everything sad will come untrue. Everything sad will come untrue. We know that the cross isn't there. We know that life isn't as it appears. For the Christian, there is so much more than we can see. And yet we get so pulled into focusing on the world. That's what's happening in the gospel today. Jesus is sitting. He's sitting with Philip. Where the other guys are, I don't know. They're probably prepping something. 
But all these people are coming, 5,000 men. So let's say 10 to 15,000 people are coming. Jesus looks over at Philip and he says, Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? And it says he said that to test him. What does Philip say? I don't know. It would take a year's paycheck to pay for all the... What's he doing? Money. How can we possibly provide for him? Oh, we, we don't have enough money. You've got to think. I, I thought, when I was praying through this, I got laughing so dang hard in my chapel. Because Jesus must have been like, Philip, what should we do about this problem? Now, keep in mind, I just want to read this to you. They have already seen, at a minimum, the healing of the centurion's servant... The healing of Peter's mother-in-law, the calming of the storm, the exorcism of the demoniac, the healing of the paralytic, healing of two blind men, and the raising of the dead of a little girl. You know, when, Pete, when Philip's like, man, I, you got me, Jesus got to be like, hello, surprise, you know, and like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, Philip, how could you not just have turned to him and said, you do it. You know why? We do the same thing. How many times has God provided for me in my life? For you in your life? And you get put up against some impossible situation. And what do you do? What do I do? We immediately run. How are we going to control it? How are we going to fix it? How are we going to get the world involved? Instead of just turning to Him. He's the hope. Not the world. The world is not the hope. The world will never be the hope. And it drives me nuts because when discouragement kicks in is when we look to the world. I don't know if you guys watched the Olympic opening ceremony. It was awful. I have never seen a worse Olympic ceremony opening ceremony in my life. It was terrible. I mean, I read articles that said it was going to be bad. And I'm like, man, they were generous. It was awful, except for one part was really kind of cool. They got 2,000 drones in the air above the stadium. And the drones came together and they lit up and they formed the globe. And the globe just started circling, this 3D globe circling above the stadium. And I was like, that is awesome. Like, you know, the technology part's pretty cool. And then they did something, they sang a song. All of humanity together, all the countries holding hands. This moment of unity in which we have suffered a terrible year in the pandemic. And what song did they sing? Imagine by John Lennon. I hate that song. <laughs> I hate it for a lot of reasons. First of all, it reminds me of that, that song is what broke up the Beatles. That's maddening enough. But what really drives me nuts about that song... If you listen to the lyrics and you have the entire stadium of athletes is singing, imagine no religion, imagine no countries, no possessions, a brotherhood of man. What is Lenin saying? It's not this utopia. You have an entire stadium chanting the Communist Manifesto. Like, if we can just, 
If we can get rid of all this stuff that divides us, then we'll come together. If we can just, what, I don't know, God, God is the problem. Then, then we'll come together. Everybody will just be good to each other. It's communism at best, paganism at worst. And let me tell you something right now. Quick little history fact. Paganism does not make people treat each other better. It makes for a lot of death. And communism is even worse. I don't know what is going on in the heart of mankind right now. But somehow it's God's the problem and we can fix it if we just get him out. And as the Russian author Dostoevsky said so famously, there are two ages of mankind. From the rise of man to the death of God and from the death of God to the annihilation of man. Because without God, everything is permissible. This world is shooting so low in its desires. And God today gives us the Eucharist, the source and summit, the height, the power of divinity to get our minds refocused. Get them on Him, not on the world. That's what He's saying. Philip, look at me, not them. But Lord, we just have fish and bread. Give them to me. Lord, what can I do in this world? It's a mess. Come to me. I only have one little gift. Bring it to me. I will multiply it. He is willing. But are we willing? Or are we just as focused on the world as Philip was? As the world moves further and further away from the Eucharist, our greatest gift, we need to rally close to the heart of Christ and realize that the darker it gets, eventually the brighter the light will shine. If it's not too repetitive, I'm going to leave you with a quote from Tolkien, too. At a very difficult stage in his life, he wrote this. Out of the darkness of my life, so much frustrated, I put before you the one great thing to love on this earth, the Eucharist. There you will find romance, glory, honor, fidelity, and the true way of all your loves on this earth. And more than that, there you will find life. That's the hope that we all desire. May we hunger for the Eucharist more than we hunger for life itself.